If you are here uh, with us for the first time in a while or just uh, for the first time or trying to figure out like what are we doing, we're in this series called The Story and we are on week 27 but it's a good week to join us for the first time. In fact, um, it may even feel a little bit like Easter this morning. And so one of the things that, because we're going to be talking about the resurrection, and so one of the things that I want to do, uh, we typically do this on Easter, we don't always do it, um, is start off with a little uh, congregational response or reading here. Now it's pretty simple, uh, and uh, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to have teams here. I love to compete, and so I'm going to put you on teams and see how well you do. You only get one shot, though, um, so we're going to see who wins at this. So since you are to my left, all right, so I don't get confused. I know you're on the right side to you, but you're going to be the left side. Can you, can you remember that? Because I'll forget. I'll get it wrong. You all are going to be the middle. You all are going to be the right side. Now, just so you know, you're underdogs, all right? The, you both are going to be underdogs because the middle just has more people. And so you're really going to have to work hard to make this work. All right, Don. So I need you to put the screen up, and this is what we're going to do. Um, pretty simple. I'm the leader here in this scenario, and you're the left side. And so what I'm going to say is he is risen, and then you all, yeah, not yet. You're good, Kim. You've done this before. Um, you all will respond with he is risen. Okay. All right, you got that. All right, all right can you handle this? Pretty easy. All right, you ready? He is risen. He is risen. All right, Don, next one. That's pretty good. All right, in the middle, you're up. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen. Oh, gosh. All right. You're big underdogs. All right. Right side, are you ready? He is risen. I, I didn't say it. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen. Okay, well, all of it was pretty good, actually. If we could go back to um, uh, Easter. I, I feel like we almost have more energy now than we did then. Um, but here, well, let's go to the last slide here, because we're all going to do this together here. And actually, I, uh, I messed up there, because here's what I want you to do. After I say he is risen this time, this is all of us, after he is risen, it should say he is risen indeed. Okay? And so that's what happens when you copy and paste, and don't check yourself. Are you ready? Can you handle that? Indeed, after this. All right. So, he is risen. He is risen All right. You didn't know you were coming to Easter this morning. If you hadn't been here for a while, I thought about wearing some pastels to kind of celebrate, but um, changed my mind. When we think about Christianity, the truth is, is that Jesus' birth is significant, but it's not the most significant thing when uh, we think about who we are um, and uh, being a Christ follower. When we think about being a, a Christian, Jesus' teaching is certainly very significant. Uh, significant to his followers, it's significant to us today. When we think of Christianity, Jesus' miracles are significant. Uh, when we think about Christianity, uh, Jesus' perfect life is very significant. When we think about Christianity, Jesus' death is significant. However, without the resurrection, Christianity does not exist. Uh, Jesus is not worshipped. We do not believe he is God. And in fact, some of his most important words and predictions become untrue without the resurrection. 
The resurrection is the most important event in the history of the church. It is why we are here today. It is why we are here singing about hope. It is why we are here singing about that Jesus has risen from the grave. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. And when you think about the resurrection of Jesus, the place you have to begin is actually with Jesus' death here. Uh, One of the things that we just need to know as Christians, and we spoke about this last week, but I I just want to remind you that Jesus died. (laughs) This is one of the things that makes the resurrection significant and why um, we are actually talking about it. Uh, Because Jesus died and he physically rose from the grave. Now that's that's a miracle in and of itself um, because just dead things don't rise. Right? Dead, once things are dead, once they stop breathing, once the heart stops, once, once the brain stops working, the lights go out, you're in the grave, and the people knew this. And yet, people still try to explain away the death of Jesus then and now. You know, a common explanation for the reason that uh, Jesus, um, people may have seen Jesus, is this idea that maybe Jesus was drugged while on the cross and maybe stuck the sponge up and there was something in it uh, that allowed him um, just to kind of pass out and mask this idea uh, that he wasn't alive. Um, they still can't really explain, well, how do you explain the appearances of Jesus? He's up walking around. I don't know about you, but like I've had a high ankle sprain before and three days later, like I'm on crutches. Um, he had nails driven through his feet and ankles. But perhaps um, one of uh, an area, an area I think we need to look at as we read through the Gospels um, and an area that we need to pay attention to, and especially when we're having conversations about Jesus, uh, because if you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus and they say, like, hey, I don't really believe in Jesus, one of the, this is one of the points that you should actually bring up. Well, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, and if they answer no, I, I hope today that I can give you um, some talking points that you can say, well, you know, you need to think about some of these things. And in John, we actually are, are given uh, um, a, a piece of information here that's important to understanding the death of Jesus. And it's in John 33 and 34, and it says, when they came to Jesus, in other words, when the soldiers came to Jesus, who were used to crucifying people, who knew what dead people looked like on the cross, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead here, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and at once came out blood and water. Now what happens when you're on the cross and typically dying on the cross is two different things. Um, One is the hypovolemic shock that takes place, and basically that is a rapid heartbeat um, that it gets to the point where you eventually die from it. Now while that heart is beating rapidly um, when you're under extreme stress and pain, what takes place is fluid begins to build up around the heart. The second way basically to die on the cross is um, through asphyxiation or suffocation. And so while you're on the cross and you're hanging on the cross, what is happening is, and I explained this a little bit last week, is that everything is being pushed down into your diaphragm, so you're literally suffocating to death unless you can push yourself up or pull yourself up there. And so you die basically a slow death of suffocation. Well, the same thing happens to the heart there. Uh, The pericardial sac begins to fill up with fluid around the heart, and something similar begins to take place 
within the lungs. And so when John describes here a soldier piercing Jesus' side, what he is describing is this spear going up into Jesus' side, possibly through his lungs and into his pericardial sac, and blood and water coming out because that is what has formed um, around his heart and lungs at that time, at the time of his expiration, at the time of his death. And so John is actually explaining some science here to us uh, that we can read later on because we know what's going on and we can see that Jesus is actually dead when they put him in the grave and put him in the tomb. Now when they put Jesus in the tomb, here's what takes place. is They cover it then with a stone and they put guards in front of the tomb because Jesus predicted that he was going to rise from the grave. So Jesus is dead. He had predicted he was going to rise from the grave, and they wanted the tomb guarded. Again, we see this in Matthew here. It says, On the next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember that, what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. They're talking about Jesus here. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than the first. Pilate replied, Take the guards and secure it the best you can. So because Jesus predicted his death, um, people go to Pilate and they say, Hey, we need somebody to guard the grave. We need a stone. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna barricade it. And there needs to be guards out in front of the grave. And so the common... Um, argument as well. Somebody could have paid the guards up, paid the guards off, and stolen Jesus's body. And yeah, of course, that is uh, a possibility um, that somebody could have paid these guards after these guards watched Jesus Christ die on the cross and know that if they get paid off, like they too could be killed for letting Jesus out. Um, also, there's no real evidence of this. And so, like, if you or anybody else is going to believe that too, they have to believe that on faith. You're going to believe that as much on faith as you're going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead on faith here. And so Jesus then, um, after uh, he rises from the dead, we have this story. uh, And two men, they are leaving Jerusalem and they're heading back to Emmaus. And they're discussing um, the events that have gone on because uh, Jesus is out of the tomb. He's starting to appear to people, and he had appeared to a group of women, and now these women are running around telling people that, that Jesus is alive, that he has risen from the dead. And so on, we call this the road to Emmaus. These two men, as they're traveling, traveling about seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, uh, they're talking about the events of the day, and these women spreading what seems like unbelievable rumors about Jesus' resurrection. All of a sudden, these two men look up, and there's a third traveler. Uh, This third traveler then begins to explain to them um, what they are witnessing and what they are hearing about. After a little while, they discover that this third traveler is Jesus himself. And what Jesus does on this road as he is walking with them to Emmaus is he teaches these two men the scriptures. And what he teaches them is that the scriptures actually pointed to Jesus' resurrection and that all of the scriptures actually point to Jesus' himself. And so for us as a church, like if we are going to be Jesus followers, when we go to the scriptures, all right, what we are doing is we are reading the scriptures, we are reading our Old Testaments with Jesus in mind. 
here. That's one of the reasons that we are doing this series right here. So hopefully through the year, or hopefully through this past year that we've been in this, like you can see that God had a plan, and his plan consisted of revealing himself through Jesus. So we see this here as Jesus is walking with these men, and um, he tells them in Luke, he says, and then, it said, then he said to them, he's talking about Jesus here, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And so here's the big thing, like, when, when Jesus was with them, he explained these things to them, but they didn't understand it. Like, do you realize, like, sometimes when you're reading through the Old Testament, like, you get to things, and you're like, I just don't understand this. Right? Well, you're in good company, because the first people, they didn't understand this either when Jesus first taught them this. So he says, when I was with you, I taught you this, that everything written is about me. In the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And so what Jesus is saying, everything that was written, and by the way, Jesus here is talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't exist. So what I'm actually reading to you right now doesn't exist yet at this point. And Jesus is saying that all of that is about me. And he actually points out kind of the different parts of Scripture. When he says that the law of Moses was about me, what he's talking about is he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. When he's saying the prophets are about me, he's talking about the history books, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, Kings. He's also talking about uh, the major and the minor prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah. He's saying all of, these, all of these writings point to me. And he says the Psalms, the Psalms point to Jesus. He's saying the Proverbs, all of this. He's saying all of this is about me and it points to me. And so Jesus is explaining this to the, these men as he's walking on the road to them. And this is who he believed he was. He believed that he was God who had inspired the scriptures, revealed to mankind. And so this is why John opens up his gospel with the word became flesh and dwelt among us here. Because God had appeared, the one who had spoken throughout time and history, the one who everybody was waiting for. Not only that, that Jesus here, when we think about the death and the resurrection of Jesus here, Jesus believes that he is the son of David that will rule and reign forever, while at the same time he is the suffering servant who dies on the cross for the sins of the people. The resurrection allows both of those things to be true. Christ reigns forever because he rose from the dead. Christ is the suffering servant who dies for the sins of the people, which I showed you last week, right? Because he died on the cross and he took our place. So this is what Jesus is explaining to these men as he's walking on the road. Now, as I told you, the women are the ones who first saw this and reported this, not only to these men, but basically uh, kind of everyone in the area and to Jesus' disciples, now, this is significant that women were the first witnesses and the first people to testify about Jesus when we read through the Gospels. And um, here's why. Um, women just weren't as respected uh, as men. I'm going to show you what I mean here, and even you can kind of see this implied in the Scripture, uh, and I'll get into this a little more. Um, Luke 24, it says, and it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. By the way, 
when you're reading through the scriptures and when you see names mentioned and they're talking about the resurrection or they're talking about certain events in the New Testament, you have to realize like these are letters that are written to other people during that time. And so what these writers are doing is they're saying, hey, if you have questions about this, go ask those people because they're still alive. Like, go check what I'm saying is what's going on here. And so you can go ask these women again, and you know these women. So here are these women, Mary, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Right? Now don't tell a woman who comes to you and tells you something that she sounds like nonsense. But the truth is, is that the women were the first ones to spread the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Now, in the first century, uh, women, um, they were respected to a certain extent. They ran the home. And so for the most part, the home belonged to the women, but everything else kind of outside of society belonged to the men. And their testimonies weren't credible even in a court of law. And so if, if you basically were going um, to make up a story of a very unbelievable event, which, by the way, the resurrection is, even to them, 2,000 years ago, right? This is something that they knew just doesn't happen to people. You wouldn't start that story with, with it beginning with women spreading this good news. You would start it with respectable men starting this story here. But, but the thing about Jesus and the way that he goes about his life and even the resurrection, all right, kind of flips things on its head. Uh, because he's going to use women, he's going to use people who are basically looked down on by society uh, to begin his good news story, uh, to be messengers of hope. And so just as we even think of ourselves kind of an application point for us here, it really does not matter who you are or what people think about you or how people look at you. Like God can use you to bring hope to people's lives. So, you know, in your notes, I just put, like, God can use me. You, you need to know that. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. It, it doesn't matter what your friends used to think of you. It doesn't matter what your children think of you. It doesn't matter what your parents think of you. Right? God wants to use you to spread the good news, and the only person that's really going to stop you from doing that is you. When you tell yourself, I can't, or I won't, perhaps because you're too embarrassed about your past or because maybe you're too embarrassed by the way other people look at you. They just won't believe me. But here God uses women, I believe, for a reason. Now, Jesus here, he doesn't, he doesn't just stop with these women, though. Right? If, we, if he would have stopped there, and if the resurrection would have stopped there, we, we probably would not be here today either. The truth is, is that other people saw Jesus. Jesus appeared to the apostles. He appeared to other people, and people were changed by Jesus. Uh, In fact, I think this is the the greatest proof here of the resurrection is what we have before us, is that other people saw Jesus and that people's lives were changed by Jesus. In fact, the preaching in the New Testament church was rooted in this. The first sermon that basically we see in Scripture has, has these words in it here from Peter in Acts 2. He says this, he says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all what? Witnesses to this. Now, if I were to stand up here and tell you, right, hey, you saw Jesus rise from the dead, 
what are you, what are you going to be thinking about the validity of my sermon? You're going to say, no, I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. It would be a very bad point for me to make. But, but Peter's preaching and his sermon is rooted in the fact that people visibly saw Jesus rise from the dead here. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, he's talking about the resurrection. And before he be, even begins to get to the resurrection, what Paul says is that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Again, what Paul is trying to get people to do is go out and ask questions. Did this really happen? Where are these 500 people? <laughs> and then he gets into talking about the resurrection and what it means. Now, for us here, when, if we believe that Christ really rose from the dead, the truth is kind of what do we do about it? And the people wanted to know, what does this mean that Jesus rose from the dead? And they went and ascended to heaven to be with the Father. Like, what should we do? And they asked this question at the end of Peter's sermon. Here it is. They say, brothers, he's talking to the apostles and Peter, what should we do? Here's what Peter replied. Here's how Peter replied to them. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. This is the response to the resurrection. Peter looks at them and he says, each one of you individually has something that you need to do here when you think about the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what you need to do. He says, is you need to rethink your life. That's That's what repentance means. This is kind of the beginning of what it means to repent. Is you need to rethink your life and the way, the direction that you're heading. And if you're not focused on God, you need to turn around and you need to start walking towards God. You need to start walking towards Jesus. Because He is alive. Because He can change your life. This is what Peter is telling the people to do. To turn away from all sin. And to turn towards Jesus. Now Peter's life is really interesting when it comes to this because Uh, Peter ends up becoming sold out for this message. When I talk about a life being changed, Peter's life um, is almost changed overnight from a doubter and a hopeless person to somebody who becomes extremely bold. The reason that I say Jesus' death is extremely important is because it is and it's significant, but without the resurrection, uh, Jesus' death basically leaves us hopeless. When Jesus is on the cross, Peter is busy denying Jesus. Right? Read through the story. At one point, basically, a middle school girl shows up to Peter, and she asks him, hey, aren't you friends with him? Like, don't you know him? And at this point, Peter, no. I, I, don't, know, I don't know who that is. I, I, wasn't one of the, I wasn't one of the 12. I wasn't one of his friends. And now, uh, uh, about a month or so later, Peter is now preaching in front of hundreds of people and he's telling them that they must repent of their sins and follow Jesus here and that he has risen from the dead. Peter's life consists of this message until Peter eventually, the, 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 his history um, has it from what we know, Peter is eventually crucified upside down himself for this message. Peter gives his whole life to this. Like this message did not earn huh, Peter, wealth or fame or respect by the popular culture around him. 
Peter gave up everything for this because he, he wanted people to know that there's more to life than what they're going through. That, that you can have hope in this life. That even in, that death isn't the end. That you can be forgiven of your sins. That you can change your life. This was Peter's message and he believed it so much that he was willing to give his life for it. And that's what, when we think about the resurrection this morning, that's what I want you to know, right? If you're here this morning and you are hopeless, the resurrection teaches us that we have hope. It does. This is one of Paul's primary application points in 1 Corinthians 15 when he is talking about the resurrection. I love what he points, puts here in 1 Corinthians. He says, But thank God that he gave us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastic for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. What he, Jesus said, or what Paul says here is that you have victory through Jesus' resurrection. He says you have victory over sin and death. You have victory in Jesus because the cross did not hold Jesus. On the cross, Jesus died for your sin and he has forgiven your sin. The reason that we know this to be true is that the resurrection vindicates Jesus. It makes that true. Now this is important that we be forgiven of our guilt and shame and it's important that we know we are. Have, have you ever been around somebody like you can see it in their eyes? They just carry it with them. Like they carry their past with them. They carry their shame with them. Like I, you know, I, I see it all the time. Right? I got family members that are like this. Sometimes you see, seek into a, a deep depression. Right? You can be defeated by your past. Maybe it's you, know, maybe it's you right? Uh, maybe you, when you think about your past you th- and things that you've done, you, know, you just beat yourself up over it over and over again. Uh, maybe you told yourself you'd never become like your parents and yet you're just like them, making the same mistakes, doing the same things. Right? And so you carry the guilt of that promise that I would never be like them with you. Uh, maybe you believed that um, if you wouldn't have just done this one thing with your kids, they would, have, they would have turned out perfect and just like I like them, but instead, my sin nature got the best of me. Right? And now you blame yourself for all of their faults and their shortcomings. The truth is, is that you have victory. You have victory over that. God has forgiven you. Right? You are not going to be held accountable for that. You need to forgive yourself because God has forgiven you for that. Some of you, perhaps, you just continue to lose some battles, too, in your life. Right? Last week, um, or a couple weeks ago, I was talking to somebody, and uh, they said, hey, hey Josh, um, you know a lot of the stuff that I've been dealing with. Um, some of it's just been anger problems. And he said, I left the service, and I, I was just pumped up. He said, I was, I was, I'm ready to go take on the world, and God is moving in my life. And he said, then I got a phone call um, not too long after I had just left church. And he said, it was a guy trying to scam me. And he said, it's like it all came back to me. And he said, man, I, I, I called this guy every name under the book, and I made up a few. And I was thinking, well, you just did what I've always wanted to do. Um, <laughs> and so... Like, I'm not going to judge you. Uh, uh, but, you know, you could see him just hold his head in shame and, and, and just like, I, I lost. 
Like, is, is God going to change me? Like, is it going to get better? Am I going to get control over my sin nature and what's going on? And the truth is, is that in that moment that he lost the battle. But what Paul is telling us here is that you have not lost the war. Just because things continue to show up or things continue to come does not mean that you should give up. Does not mean that you should lose hope. What we are told here is that in Christ we have victory as long as we keep walking towards him and keep our eyes on him. That Christ has risen from the dead. What, what, what we are being taught here is that Christ is going to make it right. That everything that has gone wrong with the world and that is wrong with you is going to be made right again. It's the reversal of what happened in the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned against God and what they inherited was sin and death. The resurrection is God telling us that he is going to reverse that process at the time of Christ's return and you are going to be made whole. You are going to be made right. You are ultimately forgiven in all of that and redeemed. So don't give up. You have the victory. And this is something actually you need to claim in your life each and every day because the enemy will attack you. It says we have victory over sin. We have victory over death. Death is the ultimate enemy for all of us here. It is what we all dread. It is the ultimate result of the fall and the garden and Adam and Eve. Now, do you believe it? Do you believe that you have victory even in death. These Christians did. Paul believed that. Those who saw Jesus did. I love what Paul put here because this is so important for us. He says, Dear brothers and sisters in 1 Thessalonians here, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like other people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus was died, has died and was raised to life again, Yesterday, uh, this past weekend, I went to two different weddings. Didn't have to officiate either one of them. And after uh, the wedding, a lady came up to me, and she asked me, she said, so uh, uh, do you like doing weddings? I said, yeah, I like doing weddings. And she said, are they difficult? And I said, we're not, not too bad. Um, they're not too difficult. It's kind of fun sometimes. And she said, well, funerals are probably much more difficult than weddings, aren't they? And I said, well, it depends on who's getting married. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I, I said that with all honesty. Uh, I, I said sometimes funerals are, are, are actually as hard as they are, right? As hard as it is to leave somebody behind that we love or to put somebody in the ground that you love, right? The, the truth is, is that when we get to do that and when they knew Christ, it really is a moment of celebration. It really is a time that we can, we can have hope. We really do not have to mourn like other people mourn. I think most people know, like even if they kind of have this kind of basic hope that people will be raised from the dead or they'll be reunited with their loved ones, unless you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, all of that is superstition. Has anybody seen, right, a raised loved one? Right? No. Right? The reason that we can have hope is we, because we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead physically, was walking, talking, breathing, 
And that because of that, that we can have that same hope here. This is what we believe, and this is who we are. And there are people here today, right? You're maybe getting a little closer to that day than some of us. We really never know when it's going to happen. The truth is, right, we need to prepare for that day with hope. We need to prepare for that day with hope. When our loved ones even go to the grave, we need to make sure that we are reminding them that we do not have to mourn forever, that we have hope, that we have Christ, that we know a Savior that is risen from the grave. And if you can answer this question or if you can respond to this question that the people asked the same way that Peter was asking them to respond to it, this can be true for you. So I want to end today and this message by asking you this question, right? When we think about the resurrection and we think about a better future with Christ, we think about having hope, I'm going to ask you, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to want you to ask this question, is what should you do about it, right? What should you do? And here's what we all do, right? We all must repent and turn to God, some of us this, this morning, right, if you're a believer here and you're just kind of walking through this life without hope, without some joy, right, without belief that God is going to right all the wrongs, if you forget to focus on Christ and you're so focused on everything that is just happening right in front of you all the time, right, the response is to repent and turn to God, to look at Jesus at this time. Maybe you have no hope. You really don't believe that God has a future for you. You're not sure if you're one of the ones in which will be raised on the last day. It's time to repent. It's time to change the way you think and start walking towards Jesus and to give Jesus your life, all of it, and receive his. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to ask that you pray with me. I'm going to begin here um, praying for those who have never given Christ their life, uh, those who may want to repent for the first time in your life. And you can just sit there and pray this prayer with me silently. I'll say it just at a sentence at a time. Repeat it in your head, and I want to pray for all of us and conclude this message here. Father, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again on the third day. I trust I am forgiven of all of my past sin, my present, and my future. I believe that a life lived for Jesus is not hopeless but can be transformed. If I keep my eyes on Jesus and seek to obey Him, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now I want to pray for some of our brothers and sisters maybe who have lost some hope. Father, I pray that we truly believe that we are not without hope, that you have promised victory even in death. I pray that as we look upon our death, we see the promise of the resurrection. I pray that when we look upon the death of our Christian brothers and sisters, we see the promise of the resurrection. 
Father, I pray that as we look at our own lives, that if there is something to be changed that needs to be changed in them, I just pray that we repent and we turn to God. I pray that we don't give up hope, that we remember that you are with us, that you can change us. Father, I pray that you let us all celebrate this morning because in Christ we are victorious. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.